Thank you for listening to the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. I'm Jay Jones, and it is Text Driven Tuesday, and I'm here with George Mays. Here we are again. Here we are. <clears throat> so Text Driven Tuesday, George. And today is going to be a good one. It's going to be a wild one, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> so we're uh, you're in Second Peter, yep. uh, chapter 2. This is the second sermon in Second Peter, chapter 2. And uh, we're going to get into all kinds of Old Testament stuff, mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff people don't like to talk about today, and yep. and also some strange stuff that people probably have never heard about. Though we've talked about this kind of stuff on this podcast before, yeah, a little bit, yeah. So Second uh, Peter two three through nine, I thought it was a good sermon. Four through ten, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Four through ten. There we go. I've got it. I've got you it. Got up it on highlighted. My, I've got it on my app. I gotcha. In the wrong. Yeah. I gotcha. Because I'm getting ready to show that text on the screen. Four through ten. Yeah. Um. Four through ten a. Four through ten a. Yeah. That's a weird. That's a weird break there. It is a weird break. What I happened? I have no idea. I don't know. I, I mean, I see the the connection between the the thoughts, but for some reason, I. I don't know. For some reason, they separate the uh, the paragraph, but they uh, they also separate the verse. I I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, one of those we've mis- talked about it before. the The chapters and verses they aren't inspired. No, and there's some there's some places where they're weird, and this is one of them. They they <laughs> the, they, they, break, the they break verse ten yeah. into. Uh, the last, the last part of one paragraph and the beginning of a new one. Mm-hmm, I don't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so last time we were here discussing, we were talking about um, false teachers and false prophets. I had yeah. a good time with that, and I think it's very helpful and beneficial to people. <laughs> and kind of in, where that ended was, um, you know, it's a warning to watch out for these false teachers, right. and, which are trying to infiltrate the church. Um, they're, and they... They are living according to uh, some type of sensuality mm. and um, antinomianism, where they're kind of lawless. They don't obey right. Christ. They don't obey Christ's law. Right. Um, and they're living Im- immorally. People are always drawn to that type mm-hmm. of teacher. They can say, "Oh, I can get, I can get the benefits of Christ and get to heaven, <laughs> right. and then I can do whatever I want on this earth and just live it up." And uh, they're bringing in destructive heresy into the church. Mm-hmm. And we saw how that's always done in a sly way. Yeah. And then the text tells us in verse three that they're going to be judged. Yeah. They will be judged. They will not get away with this. Now, today, where we come into this text is he's telling us how do we know? How can we count on the fact that they aren't going to get away with what they're doing? And uh, I like the way, you know, kind of you presented it to us. You presented it around. There's three kind of illustrations that he uses from the Old Testament. So that's the structure of your sermon. It, it, yeah, this was, you know, looking at this uh, this sermon, always trying to figure out, all right, what's the best way to present it? Mm-hmm. Hey, Peter does yeah, he gives <laughs> half, you. The, half the work. Yeah, uh, You don't even have to worry about a whole lot of illustrations. The illustrations are in the text. Yeah. Yeah, so he he just gives three illustrations to he does. back up his his point. And what he's doing, and and I think we've talked about this on here before, and we do biblical theology stuff. Is he's doing typology, mm-hmm. right? So typology. There are types in the Old Testament 
which show us a pattern of things that continue in the New Testament. And that's what we see in this that he's showing is that there is a pattern of judgment in the Old Testament, and so we can count on the fact that evil doesn't win, wickedness doesn't win, God, God judges, but also there's the pattern of God's grace and salvation. Yeah. And you drew that out. And they and they really are seen in all of these illustrations as well, right? Right. So we're going to go back to Genesis a lot. There'll be these illustrations of God's judgment, but also of salvation. Right. And through grace. Yeah. So... Um, and really, the you have to start, I think... I mean, you've got verse 3, but you also look at verses 9 and 10. Mm-hmm. So... It, What's going on here in verses ten through or four through ten is uh, a bunch of if statements yeah. that are building on one another, and then in verse nine and ten he's got his conclusion. This then, then. If, if these things are true, then, then this is also yeah, true. So yeah. not nine and ten are the they're the main point uh-huh. that he's driving at, but in order to get there, he has all these if statements through verses four through eight. Right. Yeah. So the main. So if you had to say this is the main point of these, what would what would you say? Uh, God knows how to save the he he knows how to save the godly, and he knows how to punish the ungodly. Yeah, that's that that's the main point. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Because you got you have this reality of false teachers in verses one through three. Yeah. They're going to be there, and um, if you just stop there, you can feel pretty discouraged. I mean, I, I brought up the the fact that you turn on the TV and watch Joel Osteen, and he's got almost 17,000 seats filled yep. in his in his church. I mean it was a it was a basketball arena and now it's it's filled with people listening to this false teacher. And uh, that can that can be discouraging. Well somebody listening they may be saying, "Well, hang on a second. I have listened to Joel Osteen and he's encouraged. He's been encouraging to me." <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I like turn on the radio, he's always saying encouraging things. Um, so if you could just say, "Why do you believe that he falls into this category?" A false teacher. Um, he doesn't preach the gospel. Okay. It's all it's all about you. Okay. Why is it so encouraging? Well, God has a purpose for you. He's got a destiny for you. He wants to bless you. It's all about you. It's not about Jesus. Uh-huh. Where's Where's Jesus in all of this? Right. Where's the glory of God in all of this? Where's the holiness of God? Um, where is he's he tacks on you know a, a little say this prayer at the end of of right. his his uh, program and then he makes this i i would say a blasphemous statement um if you said that prayer we believe you got born again right and that's what, <laughs> that's his that's his his proclamation if you said a prayer then we believe that this happened yeah he's um, turned it into magic it's magic it, it's it's just like the roman catholic right. um doctrines mm. uh, and uh so He's turned, uh, there's other things. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's other things that he believes that are are um, are just contrary to the scripture. He's he's a word of faith teacher. He believes right. that words have power, and so if you speak or believe something, then it comes true. Right. So he gives the he gives the story of this house that him and his wife just loved, and they they uh, they didn't think they could ever have it, but then they started speaking words of of faith. Is what he says, yeah. and uh, now they're oh, what do you know? Yeah. They're living in this house. It's so a, there's a lot of there's a lot of things wrong, but I, I would say that you pinpoint it 
if you want to get to the very heart of it, he just ignores the gospel. Right. He turns the gospel, he turns Jesus into a means to an end, mm-hmm. rather than the end itself. Yeah. Um, so here's here's what I mean by that, if, if maybe if you're confused. He has what we would call an over-realized eschatology. Yeah. Right? So he is saying and preaching, you can have the benefits of the new heaven and the new earth now. (laughs) So if you come to Jesus, what you actually get, and this is how he gets you, because everybody wants this, Mm -hmm. you'll get health, Mm -hmm. and you'll get wealth, and you'll get prosperity, your marriage will be incredible, your kids will be so obedient, everything will be great. Come to Jesus, everything will be good. But it's it's not even come to Jesus. It's not even come to Jesus. It's God wants to show you favor, and it's it's separated from Jesus. It's right. separate. I mean, if if you were to sit down with Joel, I don't even think you could have a discussion about union with Christ, right. because I don't think he knows what that is. Yeah, um, the blessings that Christians receive, it's never separated from union with Christ. Yeah. We receive blessings because we're in Christ. And Joel Osteen doesn't really he yeah. doesn't really talk about that at all. And um and in, ca- a- in case people are thinking, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. I've read I've read his book. I've read Your Best Life Now. Mm. Um it was a struggle <laughs> to get through it. Um parts of it are just laughable. Right. But um uh, this this guy he's he's not he's he wants he God has promised blessings to Christians, but in its own time. Yeah. And it is always because of Christ. Yeah. yeah. And Joel Osteen wants those blessings now, and he doesn't talk about Christ very much at yeah, all. Yeah, and in this world, we often don't see a lot of those blessings. I mean, mm-hmm. we get we ha- we get justification. We get, we're made right with God. We get the joy of Christ, yeah. and we experience his love. But if you become a Christian today, depending on where you are, your life may get... In- Incredibly much worse. Oh, yeah. Um, you might lose your wife. Mm-hmm. You might lose your job. You might lose your friends. And we can go uh, back to First Peter to talk is, to see this. I mean, yes. Peter, Peter's, he's already dealt with the fact that... That's why you don't tell people, come to Jesus and your life will get better. <laughs> right. Because they might come to Jesus and then they might get cancer. Yeah. And then they're going to think this mm-hmm. is all make, make-believe nonsense. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's dangerous. But he's prospering. He's mm-hmm. got fifty-five thousand people a week. Yeah, you have, and he's not alone, right. right? I mean, you got TBN, and it's filled with false teachers. You've got Benny Hinn, and you've got Kenneth Copeland, and you got uh, John Hagee and Joyce Meyer, and and you've got all these people that are false teachers. They're teaching false things about who Jesus is and who God is. You got TD Jakes. He he doesn't even believe in the Trinity, and. Um, just thousands upon thousands and book deals and and just influence i mean he he uh he had a, a spot of of um uh you know success he 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 prayed at um you know um president obama's yeah. inauguration like they're they're succeeding and that that's exactly what peter says and so it can be really discouraging you're surrounded by false teachers and you're in the minority and so Verses four through ten, and and even to the rest of the the chapter we'll get to next week, shows yeah. that God knows how to rescue the righteous people, uh-huh. and He knows how to judge the ungodly. So take heart, okay. take heart. You don't you don't have to be discouraged. You can you can be hopeful because God knows how to do this. And Peter establishes a pattern that's found in the Old Testament to prove his point. 
Okay. Well, let's read the passage, if we can put the passage on the screen. Where do you want to start reading? Uh, we can start in verse 1, if, okay. if that's, I mean, just to get us into the Okay, we'll the start flow. there. I mean, this this, this chapter, it, it really, it goes all together, so it's yeah. it's difficult to uh, to just jump in um, in the middle of the chapter. Okay. Uh, so, chapter 2, verse 1, uh, going through 10a. All right. <laughs> All right. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserve Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Okay, very good. Thank you. Okay, well, let's jump right in then. Let's jump right into the text with these if uh, illustrations. Okay. And the very first one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The very first one, George. Right. Let's get going. Uh-huh. The angels. The angels who sinned. So there's two, there's two ways that you can interpret this. Um, the, the first way would be these are angels who fell at the beginning. Um, so when Satan had his rebellion, these angels fell with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, though, that the um, the way in which Peter is connecting verses four and five, and especially you see the word spare that that puts them together, um, and then Jude uses the same illustration. It seems like these angels sinned at the same time as the flood, mm-hmm. which takes us to Genesis chapter 6. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Some interesting uh, things going some on. Some interesting things going on in Genesis chapter 6. Um, Did we do a free-for-all Friday on this? We spent a, a decent amount of time talking about this at one time. I think we did. This was a while back. Yeah, yeah. Why yeah. Why did we do that? What, were we, was it in the passage when one of us was preaching? What was going on? It... M- I know we had to talk a little bit about it when I went through First Peter because the end of chapter three yeah. has angels who that um, I think that's it who sinned. Um, that may have been when we talked about it. Okay. Um, Genesis chapter six, and I, I think that the angels who sinned. I think that Peter is referencing this this story this event in Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, even though it raises all kinds of questions mm-hmm. um, and is not a, an easy 
passage to understand. Right. Maybe one of the most difficult passages in the entire Bible mm-hmm. is found here in Genesis chapter six. So let me read it, Jay. And then we can, <laughs> and then we can go wherever you want to go with it. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. Uh, when man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Okay. Yeah. Mighty men of old, men of renown. Mm-hmm. Nephilim. What? All right. Where, where do you want to go with this, Jay? Where do you want to go with this? Well, let's just try to take the most plain plain uh, reading and understanding. Okay. I think, uh, I I think, think that's, that's... Yeah, I think that's... I, so I've I on when we used to have Wednesday night services and I was preaching through Genesis. Uh-huh. Um and I I preached this passage. Yeah. And so I did a lot of of study on it, a lot of research. Um and I found that there's there's seven main interpretations for this. Uh-huh. Some of them are just off the they're off the table completely for Christians. Yeah. Mythology. Right. That this is just a myth. Um Space aliens. Well, you know what I've, if you, I, if I believe you, uh, about this. I believe this is the beginning of oh, yeah. mythology. Right, right. Uh, demigods, yeah. pantheons of gods, these type of things. That right. Because I, I believe this actually happened. Uh-huh. And it, as it was passed down, yeah. corrupted by men's imaginations. Mm-hmm. But I think the truth is even stranger than what people come up with. <laughs> right. Um. <laughs> But it does make sense in the flow of the biblical narrative as to why they would try to do this, right? I think so, yeah. Um, so angels, mm-hmm, yeah, fallen angels, um, spiritual beings, somehow had relations with women and had children. Right. And these were like <clears throat> half-breed supermen. It seems that way. It seems that way. That that seems to be the the clearest understanding of the text, and um, though there are other interpretations that um, Christians have held, um, this is the majority view, mm-hmm. and um, it's it's um, it brings the, up all kinds of strange the, questions. The, the Septuagint, that's the Septuagint's understanding of it. Um, early Jewish writings, um, early Christians, so. Justin Martyr, Clement of Alexandria, Origen, Tertullian, Cyprian, Ambrose—they—they um, they all held to this view. So this—this this was the majority view in the early church. Mm-hmm. Um, it only was around the Reformation that this started to become reinterpreted, right? And this was the view of uh, the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how they interpreted it for a long time. Yeah, yeah, and it's it. This this was the. I mean, there's all kinds of of Jewish sources. This was the view of Josephus. This was the view of Philo. Like This was the majority view. So if Peter is going to interpret it differently, you'd think that he'd make it obvious. Mm-hmm. You'd think that he would, he would make this um, very clear that he's, he's not interpreting it like other people. But yeah. it seems like he's falling right into line with 
the Jewish people already held as the the majority position. Okay, and, and Jude does it too. It, it, it's not just Peter. Jude Jude connects it also. It is a, such a strange uh, story, and, and you know, it brings up a lot of questions. Like, how did that? How do they? How does that happen? Because <laughs> right. we're not. They're not humans. Yeah, we're it's this cross species mm-hmm. type thing. Right. Um, how could it happen again? Who knows? I mean, angels. Angels obviously could take on physical aspects and um, eat. They, they ate. Like, where'd the food go? Right. They they ate it. Right. Um. They could be touched. So there's. They have some kind of body. I mean, it's, they, have a- <laughs> they can take on physical form. They have, yeah. The um, the, the it, best way to think about this is people are like, this is too weird for me. Yeah. Um, but the world all, all today, like talk to your non-believing friend. You yeah. say, oh, you believe in angels? No way. How about interdimensional beings? Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that's totally possible, <laughs> right? That, totally possible, interdimensional beings. In fact, that's probably the only way that aliens could travel here is they're interdimensional beings. Oh, <laughs> well, the angels, guess what? Surprise, interdimensional persons. Yeah. They apparently have the ability to manifest themselves in the material world. Yeah. Um But why? Here's the question. Right. Why why would they do this? Like, is there a answer we can come to theologically as to why did fallen angels do this? I think so. Okay. I think it's I think it's pretty clear once you, you start connecting the story together and, and don't just take this by itself. Mm-hmm. You've got Genesis chapter three. The fall of man, in the midst of the fall and the curses, God gives a promise. The promise is, seed of the woman will come and crush the head of the seed of the serpent. There's, a, there's a child coming. Right there, the Messiah will come, and he will conquer the devil. Um, but there's going to be war between the two, mm-hmm. and we see that war immediately in chapter four with Cain and Abel, mm-hmm. where the seed of the serpent actually crushes the head of the seed of the woman. Um, but then in chapter five, you've got a genealogy tracing Adam through Seth all the way down to Noah. Mm-hmm. So you've got the seed, the seed of the woman, as it were, being traced, being traced, right? And then you come to chapter six, and what are these fallen angels trying to do? They're trying to corrupt the seed. So I, I think this is a gospel issue, right? <laughs> they're they're trying to hijack the the promise of Genesis three fifteen. Yeah, I I think that's I think that's what's going on. And to preserve his promise, mm-hmm. God does what? God, uh, he well, he brings a flood to destroy them, which is what we'll see. And in he the next and he put segment, and he right? and he he puts them in. He puts these angels in Tartarus in hell, mm-hmm. um, and he preserves Noah. And here, here's the seed of the woman. It's being preserved, even though it's just one guy. So that's the pattern we see. There's a pattern of judgment. They didn't just get away with this, right. this wicked evil yeah, that they yeah. have done. Right. And this, uh, this does seem like just such a strange story and such a strange event. But if you remember that, that um, we're not just living in a material reality, that there's a spiritual element to to this world and there are enemies there are there's satan and there's demons and they hate god and they they want to stop god from yeah from accomplishing his purposes and what <clears throat> what's one way they can do it hey. here they can they can 
they can seduce human women and they can have children that are corrupted. Yeah. You know, people, Non-believers may would laugh at this story. Right. Well, there's a lot but, of believers but, that would laugh at this. Uh, uh, they would laugh at, at our interpretation. Right. But I, I think that— But, but, they, would, but they would entertain right. the idea that this planet was, was seeded by aliens. <laughs> or, or they would also entertain the idea that aliens uh, have done human experimentation and uh, have attempted cross-speciation. Yeah and believe in reptilians and all kinds of things, they'd be like, oh, yeah, that's totally possible because yeah. they're advanced technology. <laughs> right. uh, you don't think these spiritual beings of the right. Bible are of hyper-super intelligence? Right. These are just... These these angels, um, these are just dumb angels. Yeah. They, they just... They can't do anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you see what I'm saying? I'm trying to, sh- trying to show that... Jay, Jay, you've seen you've seen Renaissance art. These are just little fat, chubby angels. They're just right. little babies. Mm-hmm. What are you? Tra- <laughs> what I found what I found to be interesting too. This is major sidebar here. It is. <laughs> in another uh, source, was it? Uh, what was it? Um, is it Enoch? First Enoch. Yeah, he, he talks about how they brought technology and stuff. So first Enoch. Extra biblical source, mm-hmm. but it was widely spread. Um, Peter seems to be familiar with it. Jude quotes from it. Um, that doesn't mean that this is a lost book of the Bible. We should right. include it. It's just them saying, "Look, um, this this is already understood. It, it's been understood for a long time, centuries." Mm-hmm. Um, and in First Enoch, the author. Um, spends a lot of time on this story mm-hmm. and uh, talks about these these fallen angels, calls them watchers. And uh, they they have this scheme. They're, they're going to come down, they're going to do this. And uh, they're described as introducing technology, like how to make metals, like how, how to craft metals and how to, how to form armor and, and weapons and, and all these things. They also teach mankind uh sorcery they teach them astrology they teach them magic um so they're false teachers Mm. they're false teachers who also are sexually immoral Mm -hmm. seems like what peter's getting at right That, that seems to be the the common thread through the angels the ancient world and sodom and gomorrah Mm-hmm. It's this false teaching that is interlaced with sexual immorality and, and lawlessness. Mm-hmm. And it we see it here with these fallen angels. So God judges them. Yeah. So it, so despite I, I think this is this is something that we have to come to terms with. Mm-hmm. When we say we believe what the Bible says and we have a a hermeneutic, a way of interpreting where we take the words and see what do the words in the sentences in the paragraphs mean in its context. That that means that even when we come to weird passages, we go where the text leads us. Mm-hmm. Right? We can't we can't suddenly come to this and be like, eh, "That's too weird. It's got to mean something else." Right? We need to maintain the same the same hermeneutical principles that we have with Genesis three with a talking snake, right? Um, that we would bring to Genesis chapter six with mm. uh, the sons of God, which uh, almost everywhere in the Old Testament refers to angels. I mean, I've got I've got a list of of 
passages where sons of God are <laughs> very clearly talking about angels. Right. And uh, so we got to deal with this text, even though it raises questions. Mm-hmm. And we we want to say, well, I, I don't understand this fully. I don't. It doesn't answer all my questions, so it must be must be wrong. This mm-hmm. m- this must not be the right interpretation. Uh, just because you still have questions doesn't mean that you're interpreting it incorrectly. It just means that you don't have all the you don't have all the facts. Right. And so the pattern is established that God judges them, he casts them into hell, commits them to chains of gloomy darkness, and they'll be kept there until the last judgment. Right. There's a coming future judgment where everything is made final. They will eventually be cast into the final hell. Yeah. Uh, so this is um I think this answers the question that you just kind of introduced in passing can this still happen today mm-hmm. because hey if if these fallen angels can still do this uh in genesis 6 why not today why aren't there you know these these half breeds running around i think it's because they're they're kept in chains god right. god has restrained them uh and so they don't do it anymore mm-hmm. I, I think that's i think that's the answer to that yeah. question good and then, the, but there's there's more. There's two more mm-hmm. stories, yep. and the next one is about the ancient world. Yeah, that God judged the ancient world, but preserved Noah. Right. This is linked to that first story. Yeah, too. Genesis, Genesis six. Yeah. Right. I, I think this is why the angels are introduced because it's the introduction to the story of of the flood, mm-hmm. um, and the um, the explosion of wickedness in the the ancient world. Is probably in part due to these angels that come in and they they bring in destructive teachings um, and humanity buys it. We've talked about it before. This idea that if these angelic beings showed up today, that they'd have no problem sedu- oh, yeah. seducing people into the same yeah yeah the same stuff. Even if they showed up clearly, you know, most uh, secular people would say these are these are aliens. Yeah, right. They're a highly advanced, intelligent race. Yeah. We should listen to them and follow what they tell us because mm. they've they've they're they're going to help our species progress. Right. It'd be so easy. Oh yeah. I could I could just teach all kinds of weird things yep. and people would just buy it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So you can imagine just how wicked the world was. Um, at this time, and so we we come to Genesis chapter six, verses five through seven. That that the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thought of his heart was only evil continually, and it was filled with violence and immorality. And uh, God's going to blot them out. He's going to destroy them. He's going to wipe out everything that breathes, except for one guy. Right? Uh, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So and we we can't even imagine we can't even imagine this this situation that Noah's in. Like we're we're uh, we're surrounded by wickedness, but we've got each other. Mm-hmm. Like we're in a church. We have other people that are confessing the same things, and they are trying to live the same way, and they're submitting to God's word. Noah's by himself, and there's at least like police and stuff that restrains evil mm-hmm. governments. But there's not any of that. This is like free for all planet, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Battle royale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, we we can't even fathom this. And here's one guy, and he finds he finds grace in the eyes of the Lord, and uh, God preserves him. Yeah. 
Because God's preserving His promise, right through this through this man and his family. Yeah. So God judges. Mm-hmm. They don't. The ancient world just doesn't get off. He judges, but right. He shows grace. Yeah. Um, it's, esta- it's establishing that pattern, right? Yeah. That um, God doesn't just let the world off. Um, he He doesn't let them just go free. He punishes them. But in the midst of punishing, if there's one righteous man. God saves that righteous man. Yeah. And so um, the what Peter's trying to get at is don't be discouraged even if you're the only person because God knows how to save the one the one righteous person. Yes. And punish the ungodly. And um, we're supposed to follow the example of of Noah who Peter says was a herald of righteousness. He was mm-hmm. a preacher of righteousness. So Noah wasn't just he wasn't. Um, he didn't isolate himself from the world. He preached. He proclaimed coming judgment and um, and and righteousness. There's a way that you can escape. Right. <laughs> Repent. Repent yeah. and get in the get in the boat before it starts to rain. Uh huh. Um, and so, Peter, I think he's 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 holding Noah up as. Um, an example of how we're supposed to live also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's the great typology that we have an ark. Right. We have an ark as well. Yeah. That Christ is our ark, and if we're in Christ, we pass through the floods of judgment, mm-hmm. and we come out the other side. Yep. Because we're in Christ. Right. And it's perfectly visualized in baptism. When we are baptized and plunged under the waters, yeah, that's the connection that Peter draws in First Peter chapter three. Mm-hmm. That um, that baptism is the it is the the antitype. It's the fulfillment of what we see in uh, Noah going going in the ark, going through the water. I mean, the, the way God does things, the way He communicates to us is so clear. I mean, we see it when He. When he provides a redemption and he and he saves his people from the Egyptians in the Exodus, how is, how does he do it? He does it through judgment by water. Right. He destroys Pharaoh and his armies, and his people pass through the water unharmed. Right. I mean, it's it's just all it's just everywhere. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, so clear. Yep. Okay, so the next one, <clears throat> Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. If right. in the text he says in verse six, if God, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, extinction, making them an example mm-hmm. of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by sensual conduct of the wicked. So there's the the two patterns here: Sodom and Gomorrah, grace that Lot finds. Sodom Gomorrah and Gomorrah is clearly spoken of as a real event meant to be an example right. to people of what will happen in the future. Yeah. And it's used all over the Old Testament. God is is constantly threatening, I'll make you like Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll wipe you out. I'll, I'll uh, cause you to go extinct. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so we go back to Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 19. We've got Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, it's the term Sodom is so synonymous with sexual immorality that you don't even have to be a believer to know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but people still try to reinterpret what's going on. Right. And it's, it's bizarre. Yeah. It's bizarre uh, how people try to make this sin something other than it than it actually is. Yeah. I don't understand why people why people don't just say the Bible says that I just disagree with it. <laughs> right. Right. This that would seem to be the obvious thing. And I think the reason they do that is because they they don't want to just to say, hey, we disagree. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to live my life how I want to in America. What they want to do is actually change your mind, right? So that it's not only just accept, it's not only just let's say, um, to- there's not just tolerance, right? Where we live amongst each other peaceful peacefully. Uh, the goal is full, um, full and total acceptance. Even to where your worldview becomes theirs, right? That's why the verses in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is reinterpreted, right, over and over to make it mean something it doesn't mean, right? Because they're not satisfied to just live peacefully together. Uh, what they want is your worldview to become theirs, right? Total em- embracement of mm-hmm. it. So, yeah. What are the strange things people do with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? I mean, you've got you've got the two angels arriving in the evening at the city of Sodom. Mm-hmm. And Lot is sitting there in the gate, and when he sees them, he rises, he he bows down to them, he uh, he invites them to their home, to his home. Um, they're they're you know saying no, we'll we'll spend the night in the town square. But the text says he pressed them strongly. I think there's a reason for for that inclusion there. Um, and so that he brings these two angels to his house, and he he feeds them, and uh, the men of the city. It says everyone, down to the last man, comes to the to the house and demands that Lot surrender these two men over so that we may know them. Now, the way that uh, you know some people try to interpret this is that this is all about hospitality. Mm-hmm. These angels are seeking asylum for the the night in the city. They should have introduced themselves mm-hmm. to the to the men, right? So we, we know who you are. Um, that just doesn't follow. And <laughs> that, just of, do, that just doesn't follow right. with the rest of the... And instead of reacting the way that they did, the men of the city should have showed hospitality right. to them, uh-huh. been kind and good and accepting. Right. And so they say, well, this is uh, to not be hospitable is one of the worst sins in the ancient world, and so God destroyed the city. Right. Now, we'll talk about hospitality in just a second, I think. Right. Uh-huh. There, there is hospitality going on there, and we don't, we don't quite understand it in our culture because we have hotels. Mm-hmm. Like you come to a city and you stay the night in an inn. Um, they didn't have that um, in this time. Uh, you were invited into someone's home, and they took care of you. Um, but uh, if if hospitality was the was the issue, then Lot's response <laughs> makes absolutely no sense because he says. Don't do this wickedness. I have two daughters who have never known a man. Same word. Um, I'll send them out to you, and you can do whatever you want with them. What do we think that the men of the city would do to these these girls? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and uh, why would this be such a great wickedness? If it's just hospitality... Why don't the angels just come out and introduce themselves mm-hmm. and go back inside? 
that it, it just the reactions of the people simply don't follow this this line that the sin is hospitality. Mm-hmm. The sin is homosexuality. Mm-hmm. They they want to they want to rape these two angels. That that's what they want to do. That they think are men. That they think are men. Yeah, because yeah, they 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 look like men walking yeah. around. Right, and um, they're going to they're going to do the same thing to Lot until the angels grab him, bring him inside, and they strike the men of the city with blindness. And uh, rather than give up, because they can't see, it says the text says that they wear themselves out looking for in. the door, trying to get in. Yeah. I mean, this this wickedness is so extreme that even when they can't see what where they're going, they're still trying to break in. Mm. I mean, that this is just it's, it's wild, absolutely wild. Yeah. And so God judges the city. Mm-hmm. Um, he destroys the city. He yep. Lot is taken out of, out of the city. Right, and they're reduced to ashes. Right, yeah. It rains down fire, giant stones of sulfur, hailstones. Right. right, and, and destroys the city. And interesting. The uh, the location of Sodom and Gomorrah, this valley, is right where the Dead Sea is. Mm-hmm. And what is the Dead Sea? It's it's just cons- it just consists of salt, right? Yeah, like it's the salt sea. Yep. Interesting, interesting yep. little connection. It, it makes me wonder: is was the Dead Sea the Dead Sea well, before Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, they've also found um, destroyed cities there. Mm-hmm. For a long time, archaeologists said the cities of the plain didn't exist. You know this, right? They've always do this. Mm-hmm. It's called one, the cities of the plain. There's like five of them, right? I think yeah. is there five? Yeah. Well, they since have found archaeological proof that there were yeah. something called the cities of the plain, and lo and behold, there are five of them. Yeah. And guess what's there in their location now? Nothing. Right. It's like a wasteland. Yeah. They've even found where they think is evidence of comp- a city that's been completely burned to nothing. Mm. Um, and when they test it, it's like high sulfur content. Shocker. I know. I mean, just <laughs> just surprise. <laughs> Again, this is... We believe in the supernatural. Right. So it shouldn't be a shocker that mm-hmm. God can destroy, in a world that God has made, that God can destroy right. in any supernatural way Yeah. Uh, any city right. at any time. Yeah. And what's very interesting in the text is, you know, people often say, they bring it up, Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. <laughs> right. <clears throat> but when you look in this text, yeah. um, there are two Yahwehs in the text. Yeah. There's, there's literally a Yahweh standing on earth. Mm-hmm. And there's a Yahweh in heaven. Yep. The Yahweh on earth would appear to be, um, I guess, well, it's one of these, one of these. It's one of the three men. One of the three men, because they visited with Abraham beforehand. Right. So there's a Yahweh on earth that looks like a man. Yep. Wonder who that could be. I can't imagine who that is. (laughs) Yeah. So this is a pre incarnate Christ. Yeah. It's the angel of the Lord. He's standing outside the city. Right. He. Calls down, however he does it, mm-hmm. to the Yahweh in heaven, and rains down judgment and destroys the city. Yep. I would say Jesus has uh, spoken. He's spoken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we got to talk about the. I think the second, maybe the second most difficult part of of what Peter says. Okay. He calls Lot righteous. Mm-hmm. He rescues righteous righteous Lot. Lot. Okay. And he calls he calls him righteous three times. Uh-huh. <laughs> so 
we've got to deal with this because this can cause some problems for people because you look at Lot in in Genesis and that's not the first word that you're going to you're going to think that this guy's righteous. Mm-hmm. So he's he's Abraham's nephew. He, he comes from from Ur of the Chaldeans with Abraham. Um, at at some point, their uh, their flocks become too big to stay together, and so they have to separate. Nothing sinful in that. Right. Um, Lot chooses the the plains. Apparently, before Sodom and Gomorrah, that was uh, you know that was the good place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was that was a nice place to be down down in those plains so he goes down there um and uh now by the time we get to genesis 19 he's living in the city um he offers his daughters so when when the guys are trying to break down his door to uh to assault the two angels he offers his daughters Mm -hmm. um when he leaves he uh, he doesn't want to go where God originally tells him to. He wants to go to a small city. He becomes afraid there, and he goes into the uh, up into the mountains, into some caves. Um, and his daughters get him drunk and sleep with him so that they can have babies. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got to deal with this. Like, what do we do with the fact that he's called righteous three times? He gets drunk. Does a lot of things that we would say. Yeah. He's not made some good decisions. Right. Some pretty bad decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's pretty, I mean, to our modern ears, it's, and I, I would imagine the ancient world also, it's, it's horrific that he says, here, I've got two daughters. Do whatever you want to them. Just mm-hmm. don't touch these strangers I just met a couple of hours ago. Yeah. Like that, that's, that's really horrific to our ears. Right. Yeah. It is. Um, this is where hospitality comes comes mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. Um, we we do have to get into the mindset of the ancient Near East, where it's a shame honor culture, um, and hospitality is a big part of that. So when you invite someone into your home, you you are saying, um, "I will take care of all of your needs. I'll take care of of your food, your place to rest, and um, your." I'll take your life in my hands. That's kind of seen in that the story of Lone Survivor, of uh, the uh, Lone Navy Seal. Hmm. Who? Uh, what, what's his name? What's what is his name? I cannot think of his name. Marky Mark. Well, he played the <laughs> he played the story. Yeah, but you know when he comes down, he's I mean he's totally uh-huh. broken, right? Like he's near death, and he wanders into that village, and the man takes him into his house. Hmm. And he has to protect him. Right. It's their custom. Yeah. Even if it means he would have to fight against the neighboring villagers yeah. to protect him. Right. So he hides him. He doesn't answer truthfully. Mm-hmm. He does everything in his power to protect him. Yeah. It's just a different. It's a different custom. Different, yeah. Different. It'd be shameful for 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 Lot to have acted differently. It would have brought shame upon him. Yeah. And um, I think it, I just would have had my own Thermopylae right there. That's right. <laughs> you, want, right. you want them, come and take them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so we, we can't immediately judge Lot based upon 20th and 21st century ethics. Yeah. Um, we, we have to get into the, the mindset of, of this time period 
to understand what's going on. Now, that doesn't mean that we just excuse Lot and say, well, this is okay. Like What he's doing is wrong. <laughs> he, he, shouldn't, he shouldn't be offering his... He could have been offering his daughters because he knew that these guys were homosexuals. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but what we do know is that Abraham prayed for Sodom in chapter 18. Mm-hmm. When... We'll just say Jesus. Um, when Jesus is standing there, and he he tells Abraham, "I'm I'm going down there to see. There's been an outcry against the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to go down and see." And uh, and Abraham prays for them. He says, "Will will the judge of all the earth not do right? Will he he sweep away the the righteous along with the the wicked?" And uh, so we've got this back and forth. Where Abraham keeps saying, "Well, if there's if there's only forty, will you will you spare the righteous? Mm-hmm. Yes, I'll spare them. If there's if there's only twenty, yeah. Um, and uh, and God says, I'll, I'll spare the righteous. There's and that's not, what we see. There's not even ten. There's not even ten. Or he would have spared the whole city. There, there's one, right? There's only one. There's one. There's one. Um, righteous Lot. So he removes him. Yeah, yeah. He, take, he takes Lot out of the city because he's righteous. Mm. And then he destroys the city. And so despite Lot's failings and his sins, I mean, he, he shouldn't be living in the city in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously his, his wife is so enamored with the city that she turns around mm-hmm. and, and turns into a pillar of salt. Um, there's a little bit of Sodom in his daughters for them to concoct, you know, concoct this this depraved plan. Mm-hmm. Um, despite that, God still considers him righteous, and I think that this again communicates what righteousness actually is. That Lot is not righteous simply because he's this perfect guy. He's this, he's this great guy who always does what's right. He's righteous because he's been declared righteous by God. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, 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 find, um, I find some comfort in that because um, <laughs> I'm not perfect. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, if, we, if you think back to what he's done, yeah. Lot, Lot has left his family too. Right, yeah. And... Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him why as is, righteousness. Why is he why is he going with why is he going with Abram? Like I, he's he's got this established family. Why does he go with Abram? Because I think he believes mm. the promise that right. was given to Abraham. Yeah. And so he's he's accounted as righteous. Right. Um Yeah. And yeah. uh before we start, you know, criticizing Lot for all his mistakes, we need to remember where he is. He's all by himself. It's just him in this wicked city. And um, it's easy for us to to sit here in the comfort of of you know this room and uh, look back at Lot and be like, well, I need to do things differently. Mm. <laughs> we've we've never been in a situation like Lot was in to have to make the decisions that he made. Um, we we need to show him some grace and and acknowledge along with the scriptures God, God showed him grace that he's right yeah that he's righteous God showed him grace why are, why are we so quick to judge him God brought him out of Sodom and didn't destroy him mm-hmm. um, but we for some reason want to 
<laughs> you know, heap our criticism upon him. Yeah. And um, I, uh, I, I think you know, you you go to go back to our text in Second Peter, and it says that that his he was he was tormented, he was tormented by the things that he saw and heard, and um, that tormented by the sensu- uh, sensual conduct of the wicked. Yeah, and that. Um, that should be an indictment and, and criticism against us. Like we're really quick to to criticize Lot. Well, Lot might might be quick to criticize us because he's he is tormenting himself by the things that he sees and hears, and we just kind of go along with it. Yeah. We're we're not even we're not even affected. We're not moved by the immorality that we that we're surrounded with, and Lot was just desensitized. We're yeah, we're just completely des- desensitized to it. I. I you know, I, I said we sing along to the the immorality that comes on the radio. We we pay money to you know uh, indulge in the kind of things that Lot is tormenting his soul over, and I, I think that um, I think in the end the church would be better off with more lots. Mm. So we we need to be really slow to criticize him when the Bible calls him righteous, yeah. not just once but three times in the text in front of us wow. and um, notice how, how Peter is describing him. And then before we start criticizing him, maybe we should do a little bit of inward reflection Yeah, and see, am I, do I even live up to lots <laughs> to, to the, the example of lot? Mm-hmm. Right. That's right. So there's these, the pattern we've mm-hmm. seen it in these three ways, the angels, the ancient world, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. There's the pattern of being rescued, and so that's his main point, right? That mm-hmm. we can, right? We know that in the end we win because God is faithful. He judges, and He'll rescue. Right. Those of us that are in Christ will be rescued and preserved. Mm-hmm. Now there are three final thoughts that you had for us. Yeah. Um. So why don't you walk us through those three final thoughts? Yeah. Um. Again, we want to. Uh, we want to apply this to our own day. It's it's not enough for us to just take this in like it's it's a mental exercise. We want to actually apply it to our lives. And I, I think the first thing that we should remember is that this is a warning. Um, we talked about it last week. I, I have to believe that the false teachers are receiving this letter also. Mm-hmm. They're in the church. That that's that's obvious. These are people who are professing to be Christians. And uh, so when the church receives this letter and it's read, they're reading it too. This is a warning to them. Don't be like the angels. Don't be like the ancient world. Don't be like Sodom and Gomorrah because God is going to judge. Mm -hmm. And if you're following these false teachers, it's a warning to you also. And so today, it's a warning to us. It's a warning to us that we... We uh, we heed what the word is saying, and uh, you know the the um, the the condemnation is going to be especially severe for these false teachers. They are indulging in the lust of defiling passion, and they're despising authority. Mm-hmm. And I, I think within the context of everything that Peter has been saying, I think that this is the scripture. I think it's the apostolic witness. the The scriptures in the the prophetic word through the examples of the angels and the ancient world and Sodom and Gomorrah, they're all screaming at these false teachers, repent because judgment is going to come. You're, you're not safe. And they're despising authority. They're rejecting this. 
And so they're going to they're going to have this judgment heaped upon them. And it's the same for false teachers today. Yeah. I mean, you've got false teachers that they stand there with their Bibles and they they claim to be preachers and they say things like don't touch the Lord's anointed. Like they they take upon themselves the mantle of of a preacher. Some of them take upon themselves the mantle of apostle. Mm-hmm. And um, it's uh, it's going to be a terrifying thing if they don't repent on the day of judgment because they are going to be judged more strictly because of their own self-professed authority. But they're despising the authority of the scriptures. So it's a warning. Mm-hmm. Um, but the second is that there's salvation. Yeah. And that's that's what Peter is trying to encourage the church in is that... God knows how to save, um, and it's found through Christ. Mm-hmm. Noah had his ark. That's a type of redemption we have in Christ. Um, the angels brought Lot out. The angel of the Lord is there. Christ is there, saving Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and we have we have Christ incarnate. We have the Son of God come to save us by his his death. Um, and uh, he will save us at his second coming. And so there, there is salvation if we'll trust in him. Yeah. Um, even though we're, we're surrounded by false teachers and immorality, we have salvation found in Christ. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then finally, this should be an encouragement and a comfort to us that um, this is certain. Peter's establishing this pattern so that we... When he says, God knows how to save you, it's not just wishful thinking. God will save his people. And uh, it's going to, it, it may take a long time. Um, you know, how, how old was Noah when he got in the ark? What was he, 500 years old? Mm. <laughs> he's, he's been surrounded by wickedness for this long. Um, and it, it seems like it's, it's never going to come. Mm-hmm. I mean, even when God pronounced the judgment of the flood, there still was 120 years before it actually came. Mm. That's a long time. That's a long time to wait. And um, we'll, we'll get more into this uh, in chapter 3 as okay. the, fa- the false teachers are scoffing at the, uh, at the idea of the second coming and, and future judgment because yeah. it's been so long. Where, where is he? Mm-hmm. Where is he? Um, and the the Christians might be thinking the same thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe they've got a point. Where is he? When are we going to be saved? Um, but this should be as Peter establishes this pattern as he draws out the the typology. Um, it should be an encouragement. It it may take a long time, but it will happen. God will save His people, and He will judge these false teachers. Yeah. So wait for it. Yeah. As an encouragement for mm-hmm. us. Yeah. Yep. Good. All right. Well, thank you. Um, glad you tuned in today. Hopefully, this has been a blessing and helped you to understand the Bible better, particularly this text, to understand uh, God better, his character, his nature, and the gospel, to understand who Christ is. And hopefully, it is helping you to become more and more conformed to Christ. That's our hope and our desire. So please share this, like, subscribe. Uh, help us get the word out. It's our hope and our desire that this, as always, helps you to become conformed to Christ.